And uh, so if you're joining us via Zoom, now is the time. There we go. Now is the time to mute your microphone and turn off your camera. And uh, we'll await the moment. It's slow today. Just like to welcome everyone who's joining us via our live stream. This is just one part of our service here at Chelsea Community Church with City Temple. If you want to be part of the whole thing via Zoom, drop us an email, or you can come and see us in person on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. here at Chelsea Community Church. Uh, if you have your Bible, let's turn together to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 12. And before we read together, let's pray. Almighty God, we come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we come to you not only on our behalf, but also for the world around us. We continue to pray, Lord God, for the Ukraine and for an end, a decisive end to the war there, that other nations would not be drawn into this war, that there would be no full-fledged World War III, and that there would be no nuclear exchange, but bring an end to this war by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for the unrest in places like uh, Pakistan and the people who there are still struggling to recover from the flooding that's occurred there. We pray for Brazil as it has awakened to uh, a new government and also for the American elections coming up on Tuesday. We lift those up to you, Lord. And we lift our world to you right now. We pray for our nation, for the United Kingdom. And we pray for a mighty outpouring of your Holy Spirit in this nation, a genuine awakening of millions to faith in Jesus Christ. For now, Lord, we come to your word, and we pray that you'd open it up to us, that we would not only read it, but we'd also understand it, and we'd not only understand it, but we'd also choose to believe it and live it out by your Holy Spirit, according to the grace of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would rest on me to bring your word to your people this day, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We'll start reading in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. 
For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Amen. Amen. I just wanted to uh, start out doing something you can't do on uh, American broadcast television or radio, and that is send a personal greeting. Today is my sister's birthday back in uh, St. Louis in the United States, and she claims to watch uh, my sermons, and so this is a test for her. So, sis, happy birthday. So, in fact, everybody turn to the camera, wave, and say, happy birthday, Tammy. Okay, so we'll see if she contacts me today, then I'll know that she was watching. Uh, so we'll find out. I also have another kind of test. I guess it's a riddle. If you got my email yesterday, and if you didn't, you heard what Karen said, send us a note at info at city-temple.com, and we're happy to put you on that email list so you do get emails from CT and know what's going on. I have a riddle. And so here's the riddle I've crafted myself. What does the Collins Dictionary Word of the Year for 2022 and Tuna Surprise have in common? What does the Collins Dictionary Word of the Year 2022 and Tuna Surprise have in common? Onions, as Karen says. Well, I, I don't know. I, well, uh, what they have in common they're both something that always turn up, but we always seem surprised when it does. Both something always turn up, but always we seem surprised when it does. Now you might say, okay, but I have no idea what tuna surprise is, nor probably should you, and you should be thanking God at this very moment that you don't know tuna surprise. In the United States, we have this tradition, a lot of churches, we do what's called a potluck supper. And at a potluck supper, everybody brings a dish to share. And you can always guarantee that at a potluck supper, somebody's going to bring tuna surprise. Now, what's tuna surprise? Well, tuna surprise is canned tuna and pasta and a mix of other things that people just happen to find in their fridge. And you never know what you're going to get. That's the surprise. And you never know how it's going to taste. You know, but you're there at a potluck and you always see, oh golly, there's tuna surprise. And then you feel shocked, there's tuna surprise. You know, so that's tuna surprise. The Collins Dictionary Word of the Year, does anybody know what it is? It's permacrisis, permacrisis. And permacrisis is defined as, according to Collins, an extended period of instability and insecurity. Permacrisis an extended period of instability and insecurity. I say it's also known as, wait for it, life. Right? You know, life is all about insecurity and instability. You know, there's certain things that always turn up. Whether or not we want them to, 
whether or not sometimes they're pleasant things, uh, most of the time they're rather unpleasant things, the key is to be ready for it. You know, the key with Tudor Surprise is to know that it could be there on the buffet table and don't touch it. Be ready. You know, it looks good. You think this could, maybe this time it tastes good. Just bypass it and go to the next thing. Unless it's another thing of Tudor Surprise because the really surprising thing is when several Tudor Surprises turn up. You know, in the same way crises. You know, crises happen. Tough things happen. It's part of life, you know. We, it, the key is to get ready for it. You know, the idea of a perma-crisis, you know, it suggests that what we've been going through in the last couple of years is something that's unusual. But let me tell you, if you're a student of history, you'll know that at any given point in time throughout history, we have wars, we have famines, we have inflation, we have government instability. These things happen. They come and they go. Now, the thing is that, thankfully, they don't often all happen at once, but, frankly, they often do all happen at once. Now, the good thing about it is that it's generally only once in a lifetime that they all happen together. Now, in some places in the world, they happen more frequently than once in a lifetime because it's happening there. But it's normal life. Normal historical events are not a permacrisis. And when we use that language about permacrisis, what often happens is we start to become rather fragile. Like, oh, all these bad things are happening. I can't handle it. I can't take it. I'm going to fall apart. My life's going to collapse, you know, that kind of thing. And what we need when we're going through these kinds of seasons, and these seasons, the things that are happening in our world are very cyclical and highly predictable. You know, historically, when you get somebody who tries to grab onto power longer than what they're supposed to have power, uh, named right now Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, when you have that happen historically, there's going to be conflict and war. You just get ready for it. It's going to happen. Historically, when you have periods of time when governments suppress the interest rates so that they're abnormally low, what you end up happening is a rebound where suddenly uh, uh, inflation shoots up and there's all kinds of problems. It's highly predictable. It, it happens frequently. And what we need, we need resilience, we need self-control, and we need the eyes of faith to persevere. I mean, we wrongly expect things are going to be smooth, unchallenging, and undisrupted. And such expectations make us weak. And such expectations undermine our ability to live life to the fullest. Now, as Peter affirmed, Christian suffering is not abnormal, but it's a normal part of Christian life. And in that way, it's just a microcosm of what happens in life in general. Suffering is a normal part of our lives. But for too long, we've had too many leaders, too many pastors, too many people on YouTube or, or on the television or on the radio, you put it wherever it is, you know, they've been saying, hey, you follow Jesus, 
and you're going to get wealthy. You follow Jesus, and you'll be completely healthy. You follow Jesus, and everybody's going to love you. When actually, Jesus says, well, if you follow me, I don't have a place to lay my head, so, hey, why don't you just give away everything you have and, and join in there? Well, if you follow me, well, things are going to be kind of painful sometimes. You're going to have to take up a cross if you're going to follow me. Well, Jesus says that things are going to be challenged. Not everybody's going to like you. Now, and Peter reinforces that and has reinforced that throughout the letter. But, and, and I think it's important, because you know, I talk a lot about suffering. Anybody who follows me for some time uh, will know that. I mean, years ago, this is at least a decade ago, Andrew McPhee, one of our elders, he came up to me, and his dad's a pastor. And his dad apparently said to him one time, he said, uh, son, every pastor has a theme. Every pastor has a message uh, that they just seem to repeat over and over and over uh, until you get it. And he said, you know, Rod, I think I figured out your theme is suffering. You know, I, because it's a reality. And I talk about it a lot because I've seen so many Christians fall away when things get difficult. I've seen so many fall away when things get challenging. I've seen so many fall away when they don't feel like God has answered their prayers in the way that they want God to answer their prayers. And on and on and on. Oh, and I'm, I'm tired of seeing people fall away from Jesus and miss the good that Jesus has for them. But at the same time, I want to communicate very clearly that not all of Christian life is suffering. Now, we've been talking here, and Peter's talked here, about how we are resident aliens. We are strangers in this world. We're sojourners in this land. And that can put us in the mind of uh, kind of some of the migrants, you know, trying to, to cross the, the, uh, the Mediterranean in a, in a small boat or the suffering and the difficulty that many, many people go through. And we can start thinking, well, maybe that means that my life is supposed to be miserable and I, and I shouldn't enjoy life and I shouldn't enjoy things like that. And it's dangerous if we start thinking that way because that's not God's intention, nor is that Peter's intention that we should think this way. Even as resident aliens, God has given us this life to enjoy. I believe that firmly. We just need to know how to do it. We need to know how to enjoy life God's way while dealing with suffering during this life as Christians. And Peter, in the, the passage we read, he dealt with the second part of that. And then I just now realized that I didn't read another passage I wanted to read. And so I'm going to read that now from Ecclesiastes because it's really important to hear this because you'll miss something if you don't get this. So I'm going to Ecclesiastes. I hate it when that happens. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. By the way, uh, everybody needs to read Ecclesiastes. You really need to read it and you, read, you need to read it through the eyes of faith. Uh, and you need to read it without looking at a lot of the commentaries because a lot of the commentaries are wrong. Uh, Ecclesiastes is a life-affirming book by Solomon. It's a life-affirming book. And I love what he says here. Chapter 5, uh, starting with verse 18. Solomon writes, Behold, 
What I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. That's a brilliant passage. It really, it, it is a brilliant passage. And the, that passage tells us a lot about how to enjoy life. To enjoy life God's way. And to summarize it, enjoying life God's way is this. Seeing good and doing good. Seeing good and doing good. That's God's will for enjoying life fully. If you want to enjoy your life to the fullest extent, that's the recipe. That's the formula. Obviously, it happens in Jesus. When we're Christians, we understand that. You know, you don't see it outside of Christ. It happens in Jesus, and it happens by God's grace through faith. Just like everything in our life happens by God's grace through faith. It's grace through faith. It's grace through faith. It's grace through faith. So we don't see good and we don't do good without God's grace through faith. So we have to understand that. It's absolutely key. But when you know Jesus Christ and you know who you are in Christ, we're saved by grace through faith. It's God's gift. And if you're going to live life to the fullest, if you're going to enjoy life, you enjoy life by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And you do it by seeing good and doing good. Well, this passage I read just now from Solomon, that's, you know, the good and beautiful life, according to Solomon. Now understand, Solomon was a guy, he was the wealthiest man who lived in his time. He would probably be wealthier than uh, uh, that Elon guy uh, who happens to own Twitter now, who's a lot less wealthy than he was who was for a while the world's wealthiest man. Uh, he was wealthier than that. Uh, he had everything you could want. He had all the entertainment you could want, all the musicians you could want. He knew how to party. He had all the women you could want, and quite sinfully so. So here we have Solomon, <laughs> excuse me, in all of this, he sees this, he's living the life. Well, thank you very much. I have my other water over there but I couldn't rescue it. He's living the life that many people dream of. And yet, he says, it's all vanity. It means it's all worthless. It's all like the fog that you blow out of your mouth on a cold winter's day. That's what the word vanity refers to. So he says, this is what it means. If you want to live the good and beautiful life, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. It says, eat and drink. Eat and drink. He wasn't a big fan of diets. Uh, I don't think he gained all that much weight, but he said, enjoy your food. Enjoy the food that you have. And he said, also, find enjoyment in your toil. And that word, find enjoyment, is see good. It's look for the good 
in the things that you're working for. Look for the good in things that require your effort, that's your toil. It doesn't mean just your job, although it includes your job, but it's look for good in everything you're doing and everywhere you are. Look to see God's hand at work. Look to see the grace of God. Look for good because in almost every situation, you can see good. You can see good. One of the most powerful anti-war films uh, that's, that's ever been done, All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, and the final scene in All Quiet on the Western Front is this German soldier reaching out of the trench because even in the trenches, a flower had grown up. And even in the most horrific thing that we could see or imagine, there was some beauty. There was something to see. And that's what Solomon says. Look for the good. Find enjoyment in your toil. And then he says, enjoy your wealth. Whatever you have. Now you might say, well, I'm not very wealthy. But quite frankly, we are quite wealthy here. And, you know, we don't really understand poverty. For those of us who have seen poverty, who have been in the midst of poverty, in our country, we don't really understand it. We have wealth. We have possessions. And Solomon says, enjoy your wealth and your possessions. And he says, accept your lot. That is, that means accept who you are and where you are. It's not fatalism. He's not saying, well, you know, your lot is just to suffer and die a miserable, horrible death, so you might as well accept that. He's not saying that. He's saying, accept the person that you are. You don't have to try to be somebody else. Accept where you are. Don't always think, well, if I go over there, it's going to be better. If I go to another church, it's going to be better. If I move to another country, it's going to be better. If I have a, another husband, it's going to be better. If I have another wife, it's going to be better. If I have another set of friends, it's going to be better. If I have another job, it's going to be better. And a lot of people just live in that all the time. And Solomon says, no, accept where you are. Accept who you are. Doesn't mean you can't better yourself along the way, but you need to accept those things. Accept the person that you are and rejoice in your toil. In other words, rejoice in how what you are doing is contributing to the world. Now, you may not be changing the world in ways that you understand. Maybe you're just blessing one person at a time as you go through life. Maybe you're doing just little things. Well, rejoice in that. Rejoice in the difference it makes. Don't always look to do a lot more things and a lot bigger things and a lot greater things, he says. So that's, what's, that's the good and beautiful life. See good and do good. Now you might think that, okay, that's Solomon. That's not really New Testament. But you'd be wrong. You can go to 1 Timothy and look at what Paul says. He says, 1 Timothy chapter 2, pray for our leaders so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So living a peaceful and quiet life filled with the good things of God, that's part of God's will. And he wants that so that more people will come to faith in Jesus. And then Paul goes on in chapter 6. As for the rich in this present age, that's all of us, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything 
to enjoy. Do you catch that? God richly provides us with everything so we can be miserable. No. God richly provides us with everything just so that we can give it away so other people enjoy it. No. God richly provides us everything to enjoy. What God has given you, yes, he wants you to bless others. He wants you to do good, but he wants you to see good in it. You see good and you do good. And Paul goes on, uh, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. See good and do good. God wants us to live a good and beautiful life. And I believe that's especially true as Christians. Doesn't mean every bit of it's going to be good and beautiful. But we can lead a good and beautiful life. But there's a big obstacle. And it's a big obstacle for all of us. Suffering. Now, nobody that I've ever met has said, oh, please, Rod, more suffering. I've never had anybody in, in 35 plus years of ministry, nobody has said, Rod, would you preach a sermon on suffering? I really want to hear about that. Tell me, maybe do a whole sermon series on suffering. And we can talk about all the different ways we're supposed to suffer as Christians. Nobody wants that, right? In fact, what does the Bible say? Jesus says, pray, when you pray this, pray, lead me not into, we say temptation, but the word means a time of testing. In other words, Jesus tells us, don't pray for suffering. Say, God, don't take me to suffering, please. Even Jesus himself said, Lord, I'm going to do your will, but if it be your will that I wouldn't have to die on the cross, please let that happen. But he was willing to go to the cross. Now, so suffering is going to come, but if we don't know how to deal with it, if we don't have the right attitude about it, if we take it as a surprise every time it comes, as something that's against God's will and against God's ways and something that nobody else has ever dealt with, it will bring us down, it won't lift us up. And we won't go further and we will not be able to enjoy the good and beautiful life involved with seeing good and doing good. So how do we enjoy life fully even when we're suffering, even when suffering's around. Well, Peter, that's what he's talking about today. He's given us some insights on this. He first, he starts out and he says, do not be surprised when fiery trials turn up. Do not be surprised when fiery trials turn up. Now, he's doing a play on words. You don't often pick up, uh, unless you're reading in the Greek. The word surprise is the feeling that you have when a stranger turns up at your home expecting you to welcome them, welcome them in and you hadn't planned for them. So it's that, oh, oh, man, they're here. I didn't know that you were coming. And if I'd known you were coming, I would have baked a cake and I would have actually gone to the supermarket because they don't have any food. But, you know, you can't complain that way. You just kind of have to welcome them in. And, but you don't really want to, you know, that kind of feeling, you know. So, so don't be surprised when they 
they turn up as something strange. Again, stranger, surprise, it's the same root word, as if something strange was happening to you. In other words, he says, fiery trials are going to come. And the fiery trials, and by the way, fiery means unpleasant. You know, it's not talking about something good, something pleasant here that we say, whoa, please let me suffer a fiery trial or difficulty. They come in order to test us, Peter says. In other words, they come in order to make us better. They come in order to refine us. They come in order to purify us. They come in order to help us to grow so that we can enjoy life more fully in part and live life more fully for God. In other words, both to see good and to do good. And he says, so don't be surprised, but rejoice that you are sharing Christ's sufferings. And the word sharing is koinonia, and it's the opposite of a stranger. So he's saying, don't think of these fiery trials as some stranger popping into your door like something strange was happening to you. But when they come, as most certainly they will at point in time, just rejoice because when they come, you know you're sharing Jesus. And Jesus is with you. You're sharing in what he went through. You're sharing in what he had to endure. And then Peter says, second thing here, if we're going to enjoy life fully, even when suffering is around, he says effectively, take every insult as a blessing. And again, this is another play on words for Peter, insult and blessing. He's saying every time somebody insults you, every time they criticize you, every time they put you down, especially because you're a Christian, every time they say derogatory things toward you, every time they send you uh, hate-filled text messages, whatever they do, take every insult that comes as a blessing. It's like, thank you, God, for this blessing. Thank you for this coming. There's an apocryphal story about John Wesley, uh, the evangelist and preacher, who uh, was out uh, riding his horse with uh, a friend. And, and this story goes around in several different versions. I think it has a degree of truth to it. And he was riding, he was looking depressed. And his friend said, why are you so depressed, John? And he said, I'm just feeling depressed. He said, why? I mean, we've just done crusades. We've seen thousands of people, uh, you know, become Christians, can be converted. Uh, you know, amazing things are happening. Says, well, I'm, I'm really depressed. I think, I think I'm losing my salvation. I think I've backslidden. He said, how can you think you're backslidden? I mean, you're one of the holiest men, men I know. And they go on. He says, well, I, I haven't been insulted for at least three days now. Nobody's attacked me. Nobody's done anything. You know, nobody's thrown anything at me. And about that time, apparently an old farmer came out and said, are you that John Wesley? And he said, yes, I am. And the farmer apparently threw a brick at him and swore at him. And then after that, Wesley was like, thank you, God. And he just kind of, <laughs> he wrote on, you know. And that's the same kind of attitude that we're supposed to happen when those things happen because it's a sign that God's glory is on us. Let me tell you, if somebody's going to criticize you for being a Christian, it's an indicator that the glory of Jesus is resting on you and they're reacting to the glory. They're not reacting to you unless you're acting like an idiot. And so 
take that as a blessing because it's an indicator of God's glory. But then he goes on to say, okay, the number, the third thing here, if you're going to deal with suffering, make sure that you're not suffering shamelessly as a sinner, uh, shamefully as a sinner, but you're suffering shamelessly as a Christian. Don't be suffering shamefully as a sinner, but shamelessly as a Christian. And frankly, a lot of our suffering is our own doing. A lot of our suffering comes because of our own sinfulness and we blame God or we blame somebody else. And Peter says, don't blame God for these things, especially these shameful things. And he mentions just four here. He says, first of all, uh, uh, don't, don't sin as a murderer. And we think, well, that's fine. I haven't killed anybody lately. But Jesus said, Matthew 5, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So you may not think you've murdered somebody, but have you sent an angry text message? If you have, you just murdered someone. Don't do that. Don't suffer for that. And he says, don't suffer as a thief. And thieves are people who take stuff that isn't theirs. Things that don't belong to them. And you might say, well, I haven't taken things from anybody. But hey, have you ever taken the credit when it was really somebody else's? Have you ever, uh, have you ever misused something that somebody entrusted to you? Have you ever failed to return something? That's theft, a form of thief. Have you failed to contribute to the body as you should? Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And he's talking to Christians who are not working, carrying their weight, pulling their load. And he says, evildoer. Now he said, well, I haven't done evil. Well, evildoer is someone who, who does something that's harmful, it's unsuitable, it's poor quality, it's bad, or maybe it harms or discomforts another person's life unrighteously. That's evil doing, according to Peter. Don't do that. We can suffer for that. And a lot of times we break our relationships because we say things that are hurtful. We say things that are harmful. We don't control our tongue. That's evil doing. Don't suffer for that. And he says, or a meddler. Oh, and this is a big one. Now notice here, a lot of us, we say, well, gossip, you know, it's not all that bad. Or, you know, messing around somebody else's life, being a little judgmental. That's not too big of a thing. But Peter aligns that with murder and theft and evil doing. Meddlers in the same category. And a meddler is somebody who is messing in somebody's, someone else's life, literally trying to be an overseer of somebody else. You know, so, so if I start saying to Kwame, Kwame, you shouldn't, you shouldn't wear that color, or Kwame, this is who you should marry, or Kwame, you should take this job, I'm meddling. I'm being a busybody. Even if I'm a pastor, I'm doing that. And a lot of times we start to mess in other people's lives. And we do that and people don't like it. And we can suffer because of it. So Peter says, don't suffer shamefully as a sinner, 
so you need to examine yourself when you're suffering. You need to ask the Lord, okay, am I suffering because of something I've done or not done? And the Lord will tell you, and if you're not sure that you're hearing clearly, ask somebody else. Because I guarantee you, somebody else will tell you if that's the case. And so we need to examine ourselves in the suffering, and we need to glorify God when we have evidence that we're suffering as a Christian, not as an evildoer, not as a sinner. So that's the third thing. The final thing here for dealing with suffering, according to Peter, is receive God's judgment and discipline in your life. Peter says it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. That's what he's talking about. He's saying God is going to start with us, and he always starts with us. He brings us discipline. He brings us judgment. And so we need to entrust our mind, our will, and our emotions to God because God will discipline us, and discipline is not pleasant. I've been disciplined by God many times in my life. Never have I said, oh, God, uh, you know, discipline me again, please. No, when I'm being disciplined and it's painful and sometimes it goes on for a long period of time, I always say, okay, God, let me learn from this discipline so I don't have to repeat it. Because the thing is, you know, as I often said with God, you never fail a test, but you'll take it until you pass. And you'll keep taking it and keep taking it. So if you think it's bad for you, just imagine what's going to happen to the ungodly and the sinner. So receive that judgment and discipline in your own life as something good and keep on doing good, Peter says, and I believe you'll keep on seeing good. So the key to the good and beautiful life is to, in Christ, by God's grace, through faith, is to see good, to look for good, God's goodness all around us, and do good. Every single day, every opportunity we have, seek to do good. See good and do good by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And welcome the sufferings when they come, that no matter what happens, we learn from them and we grow so that they continue to refine us. So that we can continue to enjoy life and live it to the fully. You know, as Jesus suffered and died, that we would have life. And if we suffer in the Lord, as God intends, it will always lead to life. It will always lead to life. It will always lead to a deeper and fuller enjoyment of the life that we have. And that suffering that comes our way from time to time, that will prepare us for seeing good and doing good in this life, all for the glory and honor of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for this time. We thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be people who enjoy life to the fullest in Jesus Christ. Let us be great examples of Christians enjoying our lives in the power of your Holy Spirit for the glory and honor of Jesus. Enduring those suffering when it comes, but Lord, we do pray that it wouldn't come too often. We love you and praise you and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite uh, Marcos and Gisela.
to come forward to help me with the Lord's Supper today. In the process of training them and raising them up to be able to, to serve the Lord's Supper, and uh, in those those times when I'm not around uh, and can't be here, so uh, so I've invited them to come and uh, I help lead today. So, Giselle, uh, you start us out with our prayer. We might need you. I'm sorry. I didn't think through this clearly. Let me put that there for you. You formed the universe in your wisdom and created all things by your power. You set us in families on the earth to live with you in faith. We praise you for your good gifts of bread and wine and for the table you spread in the world as a sign of your love for all people in Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.